All right. You know what it is? You know who it is? We're back. Today I got Mary Mick. She's a registered dietitian, part of the family. And uh, she's uh, my cousin Jerry's girlfriend, who I work on with a lot of stuff, but also a very smart person in terms of nutrition. So I wanted to have her on today to uh, discuss about kind of her background in nutrition. Um, I've never actually sat down and talked to a registered dietitian, so it might be nice to have that conversation. And uh, yeah, just kind of go off, just talk a lot about nutrition. So um, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself in any way, but go from there. Hey, yes. Hello, I'm Mary and I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. So um, I just became a dietitian this year, just a few months ago and passed my exam. Um, and I'm really looking forward to being in this kind of field. Cool. And you went to Syracuse, right? Cuse. Yes. I went to Syracuse for my undergrad and then I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst for my internship. Cool. All right. Awesome. So I guess we'll start with you telling us about yourself. Don't have to go into too much detail. We guess we can uh, streamline this into the part where you kind of figured out you're going into nutrition and then um, whatever, you know, growing up caused you to kind of go down that path of being a registered dietitian and being interested in nutrition in general. Yeah, it's been a long journey. So it's kind of funny whenever I get this question, because I feel like I have so many answers to this, like I said, because it was such a journey to get here. So I have always been interested in nutrition and food. And if we were to like throw it back, there was a girl on my MySpace account. I don't know why I had a MySpace as like a tween, but she posted this video called Meet Your Meat on my wall or page or whatever the mm -hmm. heck you would call it at the time. And I watched it and essentially it brought light to what the meat industry was. And I had no idea. You know, I think a lot of times kids especially think like chicken is not really chicken. They don't really put the two together. Yeah. So long story short, I was like horrified. I love animals and, and all of that. And so I that's when I kind of heard the difference between a vegan and vegetarian. And I heard through this video, it was probably by PETA, I think, that being vegan was like the best for the animals. So I was 13 and I told my mom, hey mom, I'm going vegan. And then I had cereal that day. <laughs> so I wasn't <laughs> vegan that day. Um, well, I realized I'm, vegan- I'm, At that point, you have to put two and two together in terms of like, when you're just learning that, it's like, all right. right. I'm like, I want to be radical and do this. And then I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah. I kind of can't. So she didn't believe me for a long time. So she kept like making chicken and stuff like that. And then I was like, no, mom, I'm, I'm going to be vegetarian. She's like, oh, whatever. I'm like, I'm not kidding. So I've always kind of had this interest in the food industry in general. Mm -hmm. And then that, of course, ties in with nutrition. So um, when I was in cheerleading in high school, I remember exactly where I was. And I told this girl who was a grade above me that I wanted to go into nutrition and study it. And she's like, you know, in this economy, people won't hire a nutritionist. And I'm like, you're right. Which looking back, I'm like, why would I ever trust like a sophomore or a junior in high school on the economy? So I was like, you know, you're right. So I, I really just ended up studying a ton of things in school. Um, it really was when I took a semester off of school that I had time to just have clarity of mind of like, what do I really want to do? What do I always think about? what is something that I think is important and essential to everybody? And that, that was nutrition. So I decided to continue school at SU and um, go down the dietetics path. Cool. All right. That's awesome. 
what and was there i guess speaking about like specifically like those were the specific points was there a, a specific point when you because what are the options for becoming a dietitian is there uh, is there like levels to it like is there like a lower level or a, do you have like a master's do you need a master's no i have a bachelor's so yeah. it's that's a really good question so when you're when you become a dietitian you have to have a undergrad an undergrad degree as well as what we call a dietetic internship which people are like what the heck is that but it's pretty much a residency for at least a year of doing different rotations and then passing an exam um i guess if you're kind of like more or less educate if there's more or less education behind that if you for example study nutrition but you don't take the exam and you don't do the year internship you can be like a diet tech and so you have like a little bit more limited options than a diet, a registered dietitian. And then it's been optional to do a master's beyond that. So you can like teach or do research or whatever. But, um, as a very, very recently it's required to do a master's. Yeah. So I was on the cusp of doing it or not. And at this point it was just kind of a finance thing for me of a master's. Yeah. So I do intend to eventually get it. Um, but yeah, as long as you do the internship and you have an undergrad in nutrition at this point, you're able to be a dietitian. Cool. All right. And then I want to kind of talk about, because I think that there's a, a misunderstanding on what the difference between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian is and kind of the, um, I guess the, the little intricate details of what makes the other um, different from one another. Obviously, the education and the like level of education. Um, there's specific things I'll let you go into detail about, like what a dietitian can do that a nutritionist can't, and then depending on like where you live and that stuff. So, um, kind of give us a brief overview of what the difference is between like a registered dietitian or someone like myself who has um, a precision nutrition level one certification. So, you know it's a very in-depth certification and probably one of the best that you can get, but like, I still can't do certain things obviously that you can. So go on there. Yeah. So I think just to put it out there, I think for the everyday person to know the definition of a dietitian is very unlikely. Yeah. So when people say nutritionist, like I think technically they mean dietitian. Yeah. And so that's why some of us go by RDN registered dietitian nutritionist, because mm -hmm. when people like in everyday hear that they hear the nutritionist part, but they can also add it to the registered dietitian. Right. Yeah. So like I mentioned, you have to have at least a four year bachelor's degree in, in kind of the area of nutrition. It could even be in like, um, like sometimes different undergrads have different focuses, but otherwise it is nutrition. Um, again, that one year dietetic internship, you could prolong it a bit, but the experience in that is 1,200 mandatory supervised hours in various nutrition settings. So that ranges from clinical, hospital care, food service. So for example, schools, community nutrition, which might be like at a, a WIC location, and then personally in my internship, we had kind of more miscellaneous ones. So I did like retail dietetics. So I worked at like a grocery store. Um, you could do an acute care setting or a um, like geriatric setting, things like that. Um, of course you have to pass a national exam that is given to you at the end of your internship. And then you have continuing education hours every year. So 
I think in the course of five years, you need 75 hours of continuing ed. And that's by going to different seminars and webinars and, and reading papers and things like that. So comparing that to a nutritionist, I say nutritionist is kind of like, if you say I'm an environmentalist, okay. like that doesn't really mean anything. It might mean you, you enjoy that field, but that doesn't say, Hey, I'm certified by a governing body kind of thing. Yeah. Um, kind of like you mentioned, you said that you have less certification of, and of some sort through precision nutrition. Yeah. I think that's really good to have these happy mediums between the two, because the internship is long yeah. and it's rigorous and it's usually expensive. Mm. So for people like who might be working and want to really understand nutrition and be credible, there are different certifications out there for them to pursue too, which is great. Yeah. Cool. And like, you know, I, I guess the biggest thing is because there's oftentimes um, like specifics and I, I kind of go as deep as you want to with this, but I, I'm, I know like the baseline of the differences that you can do, like you can actually uh, prescribe like meal plans, like legally, and you can prescribe like um, specific things that you think a client needs in terms of supplementation with like, depending on the state and whatnot, I'm pretty sure. Um, that I like try to, I want you to dive a little bit into that. So they know like what the actual, like what it is that makes you um, a step above that, because obviously the education and everything like that makes you a step above that. But in terms of like what you can actually legally give to someone for a diet or nutritional advice um, and kind of go from there. Yeah. So um, like you said, it kind of depends state to state. So you can be registered, that part of registered dietitian, but some states need licensure too. So that's just another step. Um, I guess focusing in like a clinical setting, if you were to um, be able to like prescribe someone a renal diet with kidney disease, a dietitian is the only one that can do that. Um, if you were like a nutrition specialist or a diet tech, you would not be able to prescribe it. So just like um, a doctor can prescribe medicine, a dietitian can prescribe a medical diet. Now, when it comes to more, um, I guess, not so clinical settings, it does vary a bit because like you at a gym, you might have a dietitian, but you might have a, a nutritionist or a certified nutrition specialist that can do very similar things mm -hmm. because it seems as like in, in a gym, it's kind of more of a, an advice kind of situation versus yeah. this is a specific clinical medical diet that's happening for this person's disease state, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I know, I know what I, you know, cause I deal with nutrition with the clients and I deal more of a consulting type of view where it's not really, um, I don't do like, I'm not into meal plans or anything like that. I'm not into prescribing them anything of, in terms of like specific foods to eat for specific things. I'm more about just decision-making and I try to, you know, one of the biggest things for precision nutrition that I liked about the course was they gave us an insight into that difference of, um, you know, basically the lines we have to draw in terms of like mm -hmm. what we can do, what you can't do, you know, what might be a blurred line and like, just be careful about in terms of like giving advice to certain people, especially if they have underlying issues. So I think it's important for people because I think now, um, you know, I think if you're going to go to somebody, I would trust someone with the most education. And right now there's a lot of that in between going on where, there's a lot of nutritionists. There's a lot of people who have a lot of experience with nutrition. And I also think nutrition is confused by weight cuts in terms of sport, because there's a lot of people who are 
you know, nutritionists who are uh, just weight cutters and they just help people get ready for like shows or competitions or fights, especially in MMA. Um, and I, or bodybuilding is another big one where they'll pay a coach, you know, X amount of dollars to get them to the stage. And it's not really nutritional advice. It's just them knowing how to like cut weight. And that's, you know, seen as a nutritionist of some kind or a dietitian in some light, if you, especially if you don't know the definition. So I really think it's important to start with that. So people understand like the level of education you do have and like the level of, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for merit, I guess, in terms of like making decisions and making suggestions and why it's different for you than it is for someone like myself who has uh, a certification and a lesser degree. Um, yeah. And I think adding, just to add to that, like, I think, um, what's really important to note too, is because we're not all in clinical settings. Yeah. Right. So like, if we take that piece away, how do we compare the two as far as like what, who can do what and whatnot? Um, it also comes down to insurance too. Yeah. So when, so when dietitians start to practice, you have this like identification number that says, Hey, I am operating under this body of not laws, but ethics essentially. And, um, I can be taken through some people's insurance. So I can build, let's say you come to me with like nutrition counseling questions. I might go into the system and say, okay, I am doing a one hour nutrition counseling session for someone with diabetes. We can send that to that person's insurance and they can try to bill for that. Or if it's, um, if it's something that is out of pocket, then of course they pay out of pocket. When I think on the flip side, nutritionists could still give advice, but there's no backing of insurance covering any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So hopefully that answers any questions for people or kind of, I don't know if they had any questions about that, but I kind of wanted to make that, that was one of the biggest things because like I said, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what is able and what people are capable of doing. So I want to get that out there and kind of push it. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. What do you like for you? I know you've just kind of gotten into this as like a profession. Um, so I think that the best of this is yet to come for you, but what do you love like most right now about being, uh, in the nutrition field and being a registered dietitian? Cause I think, you know, like I said, and I'll let you answer, but I think that for me, um, you know, depending on where you want to take this for the rest of your life, um, there's always going to be that end goal of like helping people. And I, I think that that's going to come. And I'm curious about like that along with what else really drives you about like loving this stuff. Yeah. I would say I love, I love food. Like I am a foodie person and we all eat. And I think I just love the story of food and how it not only affects us like on a biological level, but the community around it, how it grows, its effect on the environment. And so I think when people just hear dietitian or think of some someone in nutrition, they think of, okay, what I eat and how it affects my body. When in reality, it's a whole slew of other characteristics that, that I love. And so I guess standing on the more, how does it affect your body side? What I love is knowing that people can fuel themselves to do really amazing things, whether that's like mental or physical, by fueling themselves in a certain way. The other side I love about it is the social side and like the mental side of it and the emotional side, right? So I love that we 
surround ourselves with certain kinds of foods at certain times of year. And I love seasonal foods. And I think just connecting all of that, I maybe way down the line, I kind of envision myself working in some sort of, um, I don't even know how to put it into words, like sustainable food systems or like integrative and functional medicine of like, how can we take this person who might be feeling off in some way and help them understand their diet and how that's affecting who they are, how they're acting, where do they get their food and how does that affect the farmer who is growing it? How does that affect the, affect the soil and the economy? And so it seems really complex and it is, but yeah. I think it's just because honestly in school, we don't focus on that side of nutrition. It's yeah. pretty clinical, but I just don't see myself in that world, which is why eventually maybe I might just start my own practice, you know? I think, I think that's the best thing. And like, you know, I think that especially for what you're trying to do, you know, not to give you life advice here, but like, I think it's sometimes with stepping into like the, the clinical field, you oftentimes get, if you're working under a different light, that's not yourself, you end up having to follow somebody else's guidelines and you're not able to kind of ex- fully express what it is that you want. And like, I even saw that with the gym I owned, I owned a gym for three years and it wasn't by myself. So a lot of times it was guidelines of what somebody else wanted. And for me, there was things that I wanted to do that I knew would bring a better, um, a better experience for the clients or the customers or the, the people in general. And, uh, it just wasn't, you know, you, you have to listen to someone else. You have to follow someone else's, you know, needs and desires. And it's like you, you, if you have an idea of what you think you want to offer, you just got to go for it and like do it. And in terms of like nutrition, I think the biggest thing right now, and I think the biggest uh, hole or gap is just awareness because I feel, and again, this is just, you know, my own personal opinion, but like, I feel like another thing like COVID could have been um, very much, uh, what's the word I'm like contained if people ate better and were healthier overall and didn't have these underlying conditions that are caused by a regular, uh, mm. standard American diet, um, yeah. or just had awareness in general of better, uh, you know, tactics to keep themselves healthier and like, and working out and just eating better, cleaner foods, you know, like you said, where they're getting their foods, all this stuff is in terms of disease and, uh, problems in America and problems in the world. And you see it in other places where they eat cleaner, they eat better, they eat foods that are coming from different places and not, you know, being produced in ways that they are here and they're healthier. They live longer. They're, you know, they're, they're less stressed. And I think here it's, it's very much uh, a mix, a miss understanding of how much that affects us. And it takes a long time because, you know, even if, and this is a tough thing is like, you could eat a shitty diet for a couple months and not feel it until a couple months. You know, if you're very aware of yourself and like you, you, you eat clean and then you go into eating like shit food for a while, you're going to feel it right away. But if you're just a, you know, average person who's just eating the normal diet, you're not going to feel that stuff until you like down the line, it might take months. It might take years. It might take, you know, getting diagnosed with something or having some disease until you're like, oh shit, this stuff actually matters because yeah. no one actually is like aware and there's no, there's no information out there. It's always just like 
arguing topics of like, oh, this is right, this is right. Now I'm gonna do this. Now I'm gonna do this. And then instead of being like, all right, well, like, what does the average person need? Let's actually teach what the average person mm-hmm. needs. And then once the average person learns that, you know, then that awareness is gonna start making like it's just about bringing up that bottom line. And the bottom yeah. line doesn't have the information accessible enough, or you know, they don't know enough to make those decisions. Whereas like, you know, some, most of this food is just not it's not up to par with what people need. And, yeah, uh, and I think like so going off of that, it's so important to know that this is like a life cycle thing, yeah. right? Like we reward people with food. Yeah. Like, hey, you were born today. Let's give you a cake. And that's a tradition. Like, cool, whatever. But I think just that mindset of the reward being food and starting super young yeah. is like, is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But it's so ingrained in us that we don't really care. So I think trying to kind of balance between like the actual in a perfect world dietitian versus the real world dietitian and understanding values and traditions and things like that to give kids candy and like fruit juice, even under the age of four is like a huge no is like, like someone heroin. It's the same thing. Like it's, a, it's right. just, you become addicted. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. And so like, you know, it, you know, when, kids go to grandma's house. Oh, they're just here. Have them, they can eat whatever they want. But what we don't realize is that that's laying the foundation of them having this baseline of what sugar is throughout right. their whole life. And that food is just taste and that it doesn't, it doesn't have this bigger picture around it. So that's kind of the, the um, more strict dietitian version of that. But on the other side, like, yeah, you know, maybe occasionally we're not just going to not have birthday cake. Like, yeah you know, we're all going to have birthday cake for the rest of our lives. Let's be real. But at the same time, like we need to find a balance between knowing that story of our food and then integrating that into like normal traditions and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's also the misunderstanding of food because it's so, um, you know, readily available. And I was actually, I did another podcast yesterday, uh, a guy who I'm, you know, I look up to in terms of like fitness and when I was named Killian Hamilton and we were just talking about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of just like talking about that in general and how like, you know, in, in terms of life, you know, shelter, food and water, and then just like the basic necessities are at the bottom, but like, it's been so, um, I guess like, I guess westernized in terms of like the simplicity of having those always there's no one's ever going to wake up in the morning and question like, you know, uh, where am I going to live tonight? You know, what am I going to eat? And there are people who obviously who question that, but like for the majority of Americans and majority of people in the world, they wake up, they have a place that they're staying, they have food that they're eating and it's moved up to this next section of like, what's actually important or what do I actually need or what do I need to actually stress about? And in terms of like, you know, no one's getting their own food. They're going to the market, they're just picking it up and then they're going home and they're cooking it. And then there's like that, that miss. Um, there's a gap between like actually, you know, producing the food and then getting the food that the average person isn't seeing. So it's very uh, not connected. It's it's unconnected in the ways from that big gap right there. And I think it changes how a lot of people eat or how a lot of people look at nutrition and how they, how they deal with nutrition, because it's not something, like I said, it's not something they ever have to think about. It's like, I need food. I'm going to go to the market. Whereas like, you know, a long time ago, it was like, I need food. It's like, I, I don't, if I don't find it, like, that's it. I'm not eating. Or it's like, you know, now it's like only the wealthy have this type of food or only this type of person has this type of food. Now it's, it's accessible. And there's like a misunderstanding of the actual need of the food. 
And when people yeah. start to actually, you know, dive into what do I actually need for food? How do I, you know, prepare it? How do I cook it? How do I, you know, and the sugar thing is like, that's a thing in of itself where like sugar has become like this. It's introduced so young in our population that it's, it's crazy because, and there's videos of it online for the first time, like for my baby having sugar for the first time. And you see, and it's just like, like that. Is, <laughs> like, it's a good reaction video, yeah. but you're like, uh, <laughs> like you just, you know, you just created an addiction for your child. Like, you know what I mean? And like, you don't under, and it's not like, like you said, there's going to be birthday cake. There's, you know, there's sugar that's going to happen in your life. You're going to eat sugar. You're going to eat cake. There's some cookies that you just can't say no to your grandma makes cookies for you. You're not going to say no, just like me. But like, you know, they're, they're just in my eyes, if people understood, you know, the dangers of what that stuff does long-term, they would be more cautious and there would be better options to replace that. Um, I think it's just a, a misunderstanding. And like I said, the body has such a strong bias towards adaptation and that it'll adjust to whatever you're eating but eventually it's going to lead to sickness or it's going to lead to health problems or it's going to lead to energy fatigue or, you know, problems other places in your life. And you're not going to realize it until you're like, Oh, it's because I'm eating sugar every single day. I'm slamming four coffees a day. I'm drinking, you know, I'm eating uh, processed foods from the moment I wake up to the second I go to bed and, you know, I can't lose weight. My hormones are imbalanced. I, 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 can't have sex. I have my, I'm tired all the time. I'm moody all the time and no one realizes it. And they're just like, Oh, I don't know what's up. And they're like, here's medication. Here's medication. Here's medication. Right, right. Oh my God. Right. It's like, and I think that is so such a good point because by like most people's standards, food is just something that tastes good and like fills your belly. So, you know, and it brings you comfort, just like we were talking about with sugar. It lights up this, when you consume sugar, it lights up the same part of your brain as like cocaine. So if that says anything, you know, so if someone is in that, yeah, like if someone is in that, you know, maybe they're like at this point, 45, they have type two diabetes and just are having this slew of issues. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to take some meds. It's like, you know, it's such a hard thing because we, we don't, we sometimes don't know that it's the food because yeah, sweets have sugar obviously, but there are things like salad dressing that have sugar that we don't realize that do. Um, I think this is overall just like a larger problem. Like you were saying the hierarchy of needs. And so again, food being for most people, like it fills me up. I don't feel that hunger kind of empty feeling and it tastes pretty good to me. That is like, a really, really large problem because it's leading to nutrient deficiencies. Yep. So there and I, was this... and that's something that you specifically can speak on because obviously that's another part of being a dietitian that's huge is that, um, you know, I know that that's a main focus for a lot of dietitians is like the actual, and I've talked to Jerry a couple of times and he's told me that like your kind of focus is micronutrients and not so much, you know, macronutrients and micronutrients are, really those things that build up everything else. And, and, and when you start looking at, I can't like, and this is something I'm interested in when I'm more set and like, I have the money to do it. I want to go look at this is, um, you know, a a set in terms of like micronutrient tests. And I think that can be done by blood work. Um, and you can just, just like a blood panel and kind of see all that stuff because, you know, there are things that we need as humans and, and seeing, and they're missing in like a standard American diet. 
or the Western diet, whatever you want to call it. And without them, you're going to have these common themes of problems in terms of energy and performance and, um, you know, other aspects of life. So understanding that and seeing that is something that I think is crucial for people to actually talk about, because again, it's only broken down now into those macros, which are protein, carbs, fat. And then it's like, just take a multivitamin or 10 and, and half of these multivitamins that are put together, they don't work because there's vitamins that are with other vitamins that cancel out each other or just not soluble in certain situations. And like, they're just like, Oh, here's this one fix it all pill woman's one a day, take it. And you're good. And it's like, no, because like, you know, vitamin D doesn't soluble. It's not soluble with other vitamins and like other vitamins don't mix. Well. Like it's just, a, and you end up just trying to put a bandaid over the situation instead of just like actually taking a step back and being like, Hey, what can I actually do here to fix my diet? And like, if you have the means, you know, learn, like go and like, take the time to learn about it. Take the time to actually understand or talk to someone like, you know, registered dietitian or someone that was out there that you can actually have that conversation with, because it's just that important down the line. And like, you know, it's, it's that awareness. that's going to actually fix these problems, but it's being avoided now because I don't know why it's being avoided. You know, I don't, I don't know why no one's talking about nutrition being uh, a, a, a help in making sure that this pandemic doesn't happen again. This is, we're already in it. We're, we're getting through it. It's going to, it's like getting through the end of this is the goal right now, but making sure this doesn't happen again, it will. But to, you know, how do we make sure that our people are safer and, and smarter and healthier longer term? Um, right. I kind of went on off track there, <laughs> but when you get back to what I was asking, is just kind of like, you know, that, that whole thing is just, it's frustrating because people like yourself need like oftentimes have such a bigger voice than are given. And it's all, you know, a doctor is a doctor and that's fine. But someone who, and I really think this is going to start to come to light is that nutritionists and people who are in the trenches every day, kind of learning about this stuff and actually putting their hand in the pot and being like, all right, what's in here? are going to start to really be respected more because this is, this is what's going to, and like I said, this is what's going to help. And like understanding those diseases is fine, but being able to actually implement change seems to be the, that missing link besides medication and medication is great. Like it's why we're all living past 30 and able to do all these things right now. But in terms of actually setting Prevent our, prevention, pretty much like right. You, yeah who take this shit seriously, like I take working out seriously and, and you go down the line of like, all right, this is what needs to happen. Not, you know, eat whatever you want. And then in 30 years, I'll give you a medication because you know, that's easier. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, that's, it's just, it's, it's tough. And it's gotta be tough for someone like yourself. I can imagine because talking yeah. about that is probably hard with most people. It is. And like, I think you bring up a good point of like, hopefully we'll be, we meaning dietitians will be able to have more of a voice. And I think that's why the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is requiring the masters yeah. because when we're in a hospital setting and we're the only one with a bachelor's degree, but everybody else is like doctorate doctorates and stuff, then people won't really take us seriously. But just kind of a couple other points that I think are really important to bring up is like the macro and micronutrient thing. Macronutrients just provide energy. Micronutrients do not. So just a side note, yeah. When you ever take like, I don't know if you have a, um, what would you call it? Like an energy drink with like yeah. all these B vitamins and stuff like that. And it's like B vitamins give you energy. That is false. Yeah. B vitamins 
essentially allow you to create energy because they are needed in the pathways to produce energy, right? So people are like, consuming these things and then assuming, oh, I'm going to have so much energy. Assuming is an understatement. <laughs> right, right. Because, <laughs> hello. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, I, I can't blame people for like trusting a label yeah. because that's what they see. And they assume that there's this larger body um, that's like taking care of it and regulating it. And sometimes you see that little like cross and then you read on the back and it's like not evaluated by the fda i'm like whoa um and then um i just kind of wanted to bring up the other point about like oh my gosh i totally lost my train oh yes okay so i wanted to bring up the point about macros again in that i read this study and it blew my mind this was a little less than a year ago there was a guy named dr ziska and he did research on the nutrient content content of rice. I think it was like 18 strands of rice across China or something like this. And, you know, in China, this is a large piece of their diet is rice. And so what he did was expose these different rices to different amounts of carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. and allowed them to grow and then analyze the nutrient content. What he found that with higher amounts of carbon in the air, the more carbohydrate there was and less micronutrient content. And the rice. So, right. So what does this mean? The amount of carbon in our atmosphere as a world is getting higher. So we're going to continue to grow grains like rice, assuming that the nutrient content is the same. So, you know, on all of our labels in the U.S. and worldwide, we say, one cup of rice provides X amount of carbs, X amount of this, Mm -hmm. when in reality that is changing. But I don't think that's the consumer's like responsibility to know, Mm -hmm. right? That is our responsibility as dietitians to translate that, but also as these larger bodies to say, holy cow, I can't believe this is happening, but it is. And we need to communicate this properly because as people continue to eat this rice, let's say in China with more carbohydrate, that can lead them to nutrient deficiencies, right? They're just going to have more carbs, but in reality, they're not getting the B vitamins that are coming with rice. Mm -hmm. And so we see an increase in diseases associated with like that. So maybe like diabetes and things like that, but we also see obesity. Yeah. So it's just, it's this holistic problem that is honestly so complex that I think when your everyday consumer thinks of it, they stop, they just turn it off. And it's it's abundance too. And it's the same thing. It's that, you know, like specifically, and I've always seen this with like my, my family, my grandparents is like when they were in Italy, my grandpa was like, you know, he'd eat once a day, maybe. And it would be like a bowl of pasta and it, it was a bowl of pasta and some fruit and like, whatever. And like, yeah, that worked there because he was moving all day and running around and doing whatever and working. And, and then his one meal was pasta and like, yeah, you could eat that. Then what happened is a lot of those people, a lot of the people from overseas who were, you know, poor, didn't have anything, came over here, started working, started making money and started having food. They were like, pasta's it every single meal. And then you saw that spike from um, when, you know, all the other stuff that needs to be fixed in nutrition, like BMI and, when that was a thing in like this, whenever the sixties, I think. And like, people were like this because, you know, they weren't eating that, a diff- they were eating a different type of way. 
And then they started eating more carbs because that looked like, you know, then there was a war on fat and then there was a war on, uh, you know, saying that fat was bad for you. And then there was just eat carbs and then people just started eating carbs and then they were overeating carbs. And then it was just like this bad cycle of just like, you know, people eating more and, and doing less. And like, and then you saw this, this, what is now this obesity problem they have is that people are consuming more because foods are becoming more and more and more and more calorie dense. And we're doing less and less and less and less. And then we're dealing with these problems that we see on a day-to-day basis. And like, you know, for me, it's just like telling, giving people the understanding, especially, you know, and that, and, and that's why we're in this thing now. And it's going to be, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be fixed is because there's people, you know, in our generation who are actually like looking for the answers. Whereas like the people in the last generation were being told the answers by people who had no idea or were from a totally different world. And like, you know, again, it was just, it, it, it's more of an activity thing, but like they were from a point where, you know, their one meal a day was pasta and lard. And like, I, I hear how my grandpa used to eat. And I'm just like, yeah, like that would work back then, but it wouldn't work now because you don't move as much. And then like you talk about it today, like his, their kids grew up with that information. And then that information is passed down to us. And that's why there's cake at every meal. There's high carb, like very high processed carb diets or highly processed meats and things like that, that are very easy to consume, but they're like, they're there because those are what, you know, it's cheap, easy to make. You don't have to have much cooking skills to do that. And that's a problem that needs to be solved. You know, what's kind of interesting. I heard, I think it was on like an NPR podcast, but it was found that I think last year there is a, apparently there is like a known thing that millennials and Gen Z do not own can openers. Like so random. I don't have a can opener. Actually, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's so random. But if you think about it, it's like we we don't we don't open canned goods, or we like look at the the people. I was gonna say they have that little thing on there. Yeah, no. Right. So that's just kind of funny. But um, I think it's important to kind of bring up the topic, and I know that it is a touchy subject of like body image too. So I think although we are becoming more aware of how food affects our weight and how food affects our mood and all of this kind of stuff, we are starting to see a generation now that is becoming more accepted with body image, which is so important because body image is associated with like eating disorders a lot of the time and binge eating and just like a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, And I love that we're able to kind of embrace who we are and be confident with who we are. And I think what's really tricky right now is that it seems like it's a two-sided argument of like, hey, my best friend or my sister or my brother is extremely overweight and they love who they are. So they're going to eat whatever they want versus, you know, that's fine, but we can't confuse identity with health, right? Like if someone is overweight and obese, but their metabolic panel's fine, they live in a great life. They have no pain. Like who cares? (laughs) Like you do you, but if someone is in pain, they have cholesterol going through the roof. They're having trouble breathing and just moving, but they're like, Hey, you know, this is who I am. Ultimately that's their decision to, to take hold of their health. But we're just, it's so tricky because we're, we're taking identity and saying, oh, this person, this person, i.e. doctor, dietitian, wants me to lose weight. They don't, they don't get me. They don't understand yeah. me. When in reality, 
it's, it's taking what that client or that patient said of you're in pain, so on and so on. And I'm just here to help facilitate that. But ultimately it's what they want to do for themselves. Natural selection. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> That's because, yeah, I, I mean, whatever. I mean, like you're right though, but like some people just don't listen and some people, they confuse it. And like, in terms of every, obviously you want everybody to love themselves and that's the key, but it's like, at some point you got to also be real with yourself. It's like, you know, loving yourself and not being healthy are two different things. And like, I guess, can, yeah, it's like, what's their priority, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's the toughest part is priorities. And that's, you know, and that's why it's such a big thing for me. Like when I talk to somebody in terms of fitness, when I work with somebody, that's one of the biggest sections I have in my questions is their priorities and trying to figure mm-hmm. out like, what do they care about? Like, what, what is really their, what do they care about right now in their life? What are they trying to do? Is it their kids? Is it their job? Is it making money? Is it um, finding happy? Like whatever it is, like, how do I make sure that I can give you enough stuff that fits within your priorities? Cause if you don't, you know uh, it, it's, it's not going to work. And I think a lot of the, maybe problem is today is that people are in this space of um, feeling like they're being attacked when it's just someone trying to help in terms of like giving them information to just be better. And like, and again, this is like, you don't, you don't have to help anyone. Like you, you have all this information. You could just keep it to yourself and not have any help anybody, but like you, you're choosing to, and it's just information that is out there and accessible but you're just trying to make it more digestible for people. And that's what I try to do. Is like, I try was to that a people... pun? What? Was that pun intended? It was not intended, but yeah, <laughs> that, that was a pun. But, um, but yeah, so it's just like making it easier for them to just get. And like, there's a lot of shit out there. And like, if you go through it, fitness and nutrition wise, you could read for days and, and each hour you could have your opinion changed on either direction, depending on what you're reading. And like for, for us, you know, it's, it's about developing what works best for most people. And, you know, that in that you're, you're helping people reach their best version of themselves and people also, you know, and this is another thing is people also in in fitness, in the fitness world, they misconstrue the term function and in nutrition world, they also misconstrue the word function. And people look at function in the fitness world as like all this fancy, handstand stuff and, and overhead squats and things that are like really hard and function is what you do when you're walking and breathing. Like that's the body's function is to walk and breathe a bipedal animal to walk and breathe. And once you start looking at it like that, then it's like, all right, function of the body for nutrition. Like what is it? It, The function of the body is to, you know, nutrition nutritionally is to make sure all those things work and we're getting all the things that we need in the body, not, you know, bulking and cutting and, and, being like these powerhouse jacked people or like these skinny, thin, like supermodel type people. Like it's not like the function of the food is to create a environment in which our body can, you know, help us function physically. And people oftentimes, you know, because of how it is in the past and how other countries and places have made it more of a, um, like a ritualistic type thing where it's like you eat dinner and you know, you eat this type of food at this type of time. Like I, you know, I used to be that way too. And I was like, Oh, I can't eat eggs at night. It's, it's eggs. And it's like, no, well, like, you know, I, I eat beef in the morning now. I eat like food in the morning that like I necessarily would never have eaten. Cause I was like, Oh, you can't eat that in the morning. And it's like, it's food. You just eat it when you eat it. And like, and there's all this idea that like 
you have to eat certain foods at certain times. And if you're eating a certain food, you're, you're a part of a certain group of people and you're not, and then you're against a certain group of people. If you're, if you eat a certain food and it's just kind of confusing to everybody and it, it turns people off and then they just go to the easiest thing, which is a canned food, uh, white bread, like all these different options that are cheaper. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to die anyway. So what's the point? And it's like, this yeah. is the point. It's like making yourself yeah. feel better is the point and not having like, just taking that short time of learning the basics or having that information more handy, uh, readily available, and then just figuring it out yourself, but then like doing better because of it. Well, yeah, I, I think like, it's so important to know that yes, you know, food does have that scientific biological reason behind it, right? Yeah. It's for our body to function this or that way. But the, I guess, more soft skills around it is that we do have to acknowledge that it's cultural. We do have to acknowledge that it's memories and it's nostalgia and it's emotional and it's tradition. And so I think what's so important, I guess, going back to like body image in, in what you said is what is important for the person you're working with? Because if it, it's a totally different conversation, if I come in as the food police and I say, Hey, you know, I notice you are obese class two you need to cut out this, this, and this because your cholesterol is high and this is what will help. I, in my own mind, could think and know that that is technically going to help. But if I were to say, like, why are we meeting today? And that person were to say, you know, my doctor told me to come in and we, we dig a little deeper and they're like, I love food, but, you know, I don't see how that connects with my health. And like, I have some pain in my knees, but like, I don't really see how that connects. Okay, well, instead of focusing on the specifics of cholesterol and all this, let's continue to focus on that person's knee health. Talking about food in a way of, you know, how can we see the connection of the quantity and of what we're eating and how is that gonna affect how you're feeling? Well, then that person is way more likely to stick around and feel motivated than if I were to come and feel like I'm almost like attacking them and being that food police. And I think it can come off as that way early on, especially in like our field, because there's usually when someone reaches that point that they're reaching out, they've got more problems than they're capable of handing, handling. And then us coming in is like, all right, well, yeah, you can probably fix this, this, and this, and this. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's overwhelming and it's too much. And it's like, all right, well, like as a coach and as a dietitian and as someone who like is going to start dealing with people, the thing that I found best is just what's most important at that time, try to fix it and not even like fix it right away, just start to implement small changes. And that's what people have to do. The problem is, is again, people will go to a dietitian. They'll say, oh, I need to fix all this shit. They're like, all right, I'm gonna fix it tomorrow. I'm gonna go to the market. I'm not gonna eat this. I'm not gonna eat that. I'm not gonna eat that. I'm not gonna eat that. And we're gonna do it. Day one works, day two, someone steps on their foot, someone hits their car and pisses them off. They go home, they eat a jar of ice cream and then they're like, I'll try again next year. Wait, a jar like, of ice cream or whatever, a container of ice cream. Like, it's like what do they got down there in Nashville in ice uh, cream I jars? Know. I don't know what they have. I haven't touched ice cream, but um, it's like, it's, it's that where they get overwhelmed and it's this overwhelming feeling that causes them to fall off and then not do it. And yeah. it's, it's our job because for me, if I come across somebody that I work with, you know, like I work at a gym now and there's some stuff that I don't hundred percent agree with, but like, it's my job to at least give my opinion. It makes me feel better if I at least give my opinion and, and, and give them the information that I think is right. If they make the decision, otherwise that's on them. And like, that's, that's fine. As long as it's an informed decision. And I know that like, 
I didn't just let someone go off into the deep end by themselves. And then, you know, without the right knowledge, then like, yeah, if, if, you know, if they want to eat Oreos every night and that's fine and they don't really care about, you know, their quality of life in 10 years and like, that's, you know, up to them. But like, as long as I'm giving the information, as long as you're giving the information and, and you're putting it out there in a way that's not attacking anybody, be like, you're wrong for doing that. You have to do this. It's like, listen, I, you know, this is my personal opinion. This is what I've seen. This is the research I've done. This is what seems to work. Try it, you know, or implement it in some way. If it works, it works. If not, you know, we try it. And like, yeah. we can try something else. We can go from there. Um, I guess to just kind of add to that. And I think it's surprising for a lot of people to know, I guess, just to like continue this part of the, the conversation here is like, from my understanding, dietitians are the only people in the health field that have to take courses on how to talk about the problem at hand. Uh, we have to take nutrition and, counseling. And this is, so, my, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But yeah. So like, I think it's one thing to have the knowledge, but our senior year, you have to take nutrition counseling. And honestly, it's one of the most valuable courses because it talks about motivation and all of this. And I'll just use this as an example. I was talking with someone recently about emotional eating and they said, Hey, like every time I'm in a bad mood, I'm just going to go to the, the freezer, grab ice cream and just eat. I don't really care. But then after I feel bad. Yeah. So I want, I'm coming to you because I want help with stopping this habit. And so I said, you know, I could tell you to not go buy this junk, you know, quote junk food. Um, we, you know, we might eventually get to that point, but why do you, why do you feel this way? Why do you want to? And then what we kind of discovered was this person, um, decided, okay, well, if I were to make a small goal for myself, I'm not going to, um, drink as much coffee during the day. Cause I know that's not good for me. I'll drink more water. And I was like, okay, well, why are you drinking coffee? And they said, well, I'm so exhausted all the time. I don't really have help around the house at this point. Um, and, and I am up really late and all of that. So I was like, okay, well, if you were to truly drink less coffee, are you going to feel more awake during the day to get the stuff that you need done? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, okay, well, right again, at this point, this emotional eating and staying up late and drinking coffee and all this kind of stuff, like, it seems like it's a lot, but let's start with maybe in the moment when you're emotionally eating, what is something that can we, we can do for you to kind of, kind of bring back the moment or, or, or kind of come back into your mind. And they're like, okay, well, maybe I can have a journal. I'm like, oh, what would you do with that journal? While I'm eating, I'm not going to have any distractions of my phone or the TV as I'm eating. Yeah. I will write down what I'm feeling. Yeah. And so initially, you know, tying this all back, the person came in strong, came in hot of, I want to stop with this junk food. I'm going to start with coffee because it doesn't make me feel good. And in reality, it's bringing the mindfulness to their eating habits. And ultimately they were the one that said, I am okay with this goal and I'm going to create this goal for myself. It wasn't me. I was just coaching them along. Yeah. I think, I think for me personally, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had as a coach and like a person in terms of fitness, you know, wasn't fitness. It was actually learning how to talk to people and deal with people and understand people and how to communicate properly because, you know, I have all the information I think necessary for me to, at this point in my life, be a good coach. I want to be a better coach. So I'm always going to learn more, but 
being able, and like I said, being able to make that information digestible, pun intended that time, <laughs> yes. and, and put in a way that makes sense for that person and, and dealing with those emotional problems. I'm not the same as you. You might tell me something and I might take it a completely different way that you're going to take it. I might say something and you might take it a different way. And I have the intention of something else, but I can't change the way that you think about something. I have to understand why you're thinking about it in that way and then deal with it as I talk to you. You know, the biggest thing for me, listening to diving deeper into psychology, diving deeper into negotiation, diving deeper into like just talking to people really set me 10 steps forward in terms of like conveying information and having that problem. Because I get that all the time is I get people who come in and they're like, you know, all right, I'm dealing with uh, this in my life. And like, I'm not happy where, where I'm at. I'm like, all right, well, like, like I said, what, what's going on? Like, what are your priorities right now? What are your values right now? What do you, what is your nutritional behavior? Um, how are you feeling? And it's not like, oh, you're not working out enough because, you know, usually working out is the last thing on my mind when I'm talking to somebody. I'm trying to figure out what are these other pieces that they're dealing with because they have so much more to do than like that one workout you're going to do that day. Yeah, the working out is going to help, but like overall, all this stuff that you just talked about and all the stuff that is involved with emotional eating and, and dealing with why someone actually goes to grab ice cream and why people drink coffee and why people, you know, it, it's just like dealing with that takes a lot more than just saying like, Oh, stop, stop eating it. It's like, all right, well then I'll just start eating something else because it's you no, know, an addictive, an addiction isn't going to just like go away unless you actually deal with like that baseline understanding of why you have it. Otherwise it's going to be like, yeah, I'm not addicted to coffee or ice cream anymore, but now I'm, I'm chugging four Red Bulls a day because you know, I, I just, I need something like that. And then you start dealing with it in some way and, and you don't actually deal with the problem. And then you start just running yourself in a circle where you don't get anything solved. Um, and I, I, this is going to be one of my questions is kind of like, what, what was some of your biggest like pet peeves in the nutrition world? Because I'm not deeply involved in it and I have some pet peeves and like, <laughs> I can imagine being someone who's very, like very much immersed in it and is always, you know, um, and uh, has been on both sides. Like, I don't know how often you, or how long you ate meat. I know you said since you were 13, I don't know if that was like when you were 13, you were a vegan from then on. Is that like you didn't eat anything else? No. Um, I, I've like fluctuated from being vegetarian to vegan to pescatarian. So, okay. yeah. so, so you have some experiences with everything, but like, you know, I kind of want to talk about your transition um, from a Western diet to being a vegetarian. I know you talked about it at the beginning, but like maybe a little bit more detail on that. And then kind of some of your biggest pet peeves within the industry in terms of, you know, talking about that stuff, because I know, for example, um, I, you know, I'm all about learning in terms of like helping people better. Um, you know, the way I eat is different from other people and it might not agree with some people. And like this, the way that you eat is different too. And like, I've never, you know, I've always been interested in learning about it. Um, it's just about, you know, people who, and I think it's important for the people who do make that decision to eat vegetarian, to just make sure that they're doing it in the right way and making sure that they're getting everything they need from it. And like, I think that in my opinion with it is that like, it, it can be done. It's just very hard for someone who's uninformed and then doesn't have the, the, I don't want to say funds because it's not something you have to be like rich to do, but like, you want to make sure that you're getting all, everything because it's not just, and I'm sure you can attest to this. It's not just eating vegetables. You know, it's not, that's the only thing you're eating. It's just like, oh, I'm, I just sit there and I eat raw broccoli all day or I eat raw carrots all day. It's, 
it's adding other, you know, uh, things in like fats, it's adding other things in where you're getting protein, it's adding other, and it's not like, you know, you're adding all these crazy things in, but it's just like understanding what it is exactly that you're eating and making that transition. Cause I know you helped Jerry and Jerry was someone who ate meat for basically his whole life and was in a Italian style household who, you know, wasn't probably, um, the, the most balanced nutrition in terms of like eating on a regular basis. Um, so you can dive in that a little bit and just kind of go from there. Sure. So I think just overall, um, you know, you mentioned that being on a vegetarian diet, it's important to do it correctly. Like when, when I say correctly, I mean, healthfully and wholesomely. And I think that goes for any kind of diet too, right? Like definitely, definitely, definitely. you can be an omnivore and have the standard American diet and you can be, you can be in triathlons, right? But it's just a matter of having that education and being confident in the actual science of these diets um, to make sure that you're, you're doing well. So I would say my transition, like I said, it was pretty stark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm going to be vegan. And then I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, but I guess adding to one of your first questions of why I wanted to go into nutrition, I knew that I wasn't eating properly. Mm-hmm. We grew up, my family grew up pretty poor. I kind of like grew up in the projects. And so we didn't have a lot of food ever. We had like one big shopping day, which was when we had food stamps and, um, you know, so I would just eat like peanut butter and jelly or, you know, oranges and things like that. And I remember being a, um, like a middle teenager and I tweeted, which, why am I on the social media so young? My I mean, Twitter, Twitter, I mean, what that's Twitter was, I remember I was like one of the first ones in my high school on Twitter. Uh, MySpace, I didn't have, I remember you, you were talking about MySpace. I didn't have MySpace, but Twitter, I was like one of the first ones in my high school on Twitter. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put that out there. You know, that's, that's just our <laughs> age. Yeah. I tweeted like, if all I could eat every day was yogurt, oranges and drink green tea, I would be satisfied. And I'm like, Oh my God, are you kidding? So, so I guess transitioning from like, not only the standard American diet or the, like a traditional Western diet into vegetarianism, it was quick, but transitioning from that um, nutrient poor vegetarian diet into something more holistic. Once I was able to have the means and the education to do so was really important too. So then you asked a question about pet peeves. I would say let's kind of split it into two. One of them is like in the dietitian realm and then dietitian versus clients and just your everyday people. I would say in the dietitian world, the use of vitamins and supplements, we really don't learn a ton about them in our education. But what we do know is that they're not regulated. There are third parties out there that can like verify some, but again, it's no governing body that says, yes, this has this much in it. Uh, so you can get fish. They, get, they get scary depending on where they yeah. come from. Like there's people, so, athletes who take that stuff and then they, they, get, they pop for steroids or they pop for PEDs or they pop and it's like, it's dirty, but sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Yeah. So I mean, like, what we do know, we meaning RDs and RDNs, is that vitamins are like your supplement, your little pill of a vitamin is not as bioavailable. Like you said earlier, it can have interactions with other drugs or other nutrients that could be within that vitamin, i.e. a multivitamin. And we, you know, in, in a lot of vulnerable populations, we, per- we prescribe them and we say, hey, this is good for you. But we know at our core they're not regulated and often they're really costly too. Yep. So 
I've spent, you know, we're, we're going against our own knowledge. Yeah. What was that? I said, I'm sure not only just me, but like, even, you know, people like that, I know that you can go into a supplement store and spend two, 300 bucks on just like a, a, a stack for something. And like, you know, and, and you're getting everything that you quote unquote need, but like, you know, digestion of that product is a totally different story on the other end. And like, and you keep going, but like, that's, you know, it, they do get extremely expensive for stuff. That's like, it might be good, you know? And sometimes a lot of times with like fish oils, like, you know, that's why finding proper, um, like whole, like legit forms of like fats, um, cause like fish oils can be like rancid, like they can be bad when, you, when, you, when they're in the pill form and like, you know, getting a cheaper version can be very, not very good. And, um, it's just like these, these companies are just mass producing them to push them. And like, you, you might not even be getting like the, the best version of what it is and you're paying for the best version of what it is. Right. Yeah. There's, um, there even was someone that I knew who, was a dietetic intern Mm -hmm. and when they would get sick they would take airborne (laughs) which just to listeners out there airborne has like an incredible amount of vitamin c and if you have heard anything about vitamin c it's good for your immune system but the the practice is oh i'm feeling sick let me take airborne and i'm gonna just flood my body with vitamin c (laughs) when in reality most dietitians call it really expensive pee because vitamin C is a water, water soluble vitamin. So your body only takes up as, as much as it can with the amount of receptors that it can, and then you pee the rest out. So how is it that someone who is in dietetics goes to take airborne, even though they know it's not going to work? I think it's really just because same thing with the vulnerable, excuse me, the vulnerable populations. We're just like, Hey, you know, it doesn't hurt to try, but I think it does eventually hurt to try because one, it could be expensive, just like we said over time, but two, we're like invalidating our credentials and our knowledge by suggesting these things, even though we know it's not right. So that's like RD and RD, but I would say RD versus client is a kind of a different story. Have you seen the documentary called the social dilemma? No, I've, I've heard this like six times. I gotta watch it. I, I gotta watch it this week. Cause I've, I've literally, you're like the fifth or sixth person I've heard talk about it. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's crazy. I don't even know how else to describe it, but one theme is that social media and the internet have become so finely tuned to what we like and what we pay attention to that our feed pretty much can't be replicated to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So for example, for me on my Instagram, it's like zero waste, sustainability, cooking, dance, random things like that. And although I might have my best friend or an identical twin who likes just the same things, it's going to be different. And so why I bring this up is because it has real world effects and they talk about that in the documentary. And so I think when it comes to food and nutrition and dietitian and clients, if people want to see something and they like one post it's going to change their feed slowly, but surely when it changes their feed, it changes their mind. And it is so hard to tell now what is quackery and what is real. And I feel like sometimes I am going off of this scientific background that I have looking at research articles from, from research bodies. 
And although I know that it's true, if it's not appealing to someone or it doesn't end up in their feed, it doesn't matter. You know, like we have studied over and over again that the Mediterranean diet time and time again is like the most effective diet on people's cardiovascular health, longevity, all of that. But someone might say, oh, no, it's not. Like I've looked and no, it's not. Because have you seen this article? And it's like, it's because they don't want to see it. And so now their feed and everything around them is changing that it's so hard to be someone in the science field to say, listen, that really is not the case. This is the case. And they're like, no, that's not. It's flooded. And and it's, it's, it's not only that it's people who look a certain way are peddling and like, it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with someone who looks a certain way. And like, it's yeah. hard to be like, you know, when you look at someone who's like, oh, they have my dream body. I want to be in that bikini or I want to be in that tank top. I want to be in that, you know, in that gym looking like brolic like him. And like, whatever he says, I'm probably gonna listen to him. Cause what does he, know? he knows, what do I know that he doesn't, you know, it's like, mm. you know, he's going to know way more than me. And he's probably going to tell me something that's going to help me. And like, you see it. And then like, it, it's hard to say no to that. And you're right. And it's like, it's hard when, you know, the dude who's, looking and this is my thing too is like athletes talk a lot about this stuff and athletes talk about supplementation they talk about um you know diet and they talk about performance and it's like they are so one-off like lebron realistically lebron could eat you know not as good as he he fuels himself to you know a degree that nobody else does because he's got the money he's got the funds he's got the 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 time to do it if, you know, LeBron wouldn't be that much different if he didn't eat as clean. He might, maybe he would have gotten hurt a couple of times in his life, but like, he is a one-off. He is a superhuman. He is a, you know, just someone who isn't of a normal body. And like the average person, you know, you can't make those mistakes. Like you can't leave these things out. You can't not talk about certain things and you can't not have certain things in your diet. And like, when you start listening to the wrong things or you start listening to the wrong people, or you start looking at them in terms of like, you know, their information and their, um, you know, the way they look is really hard to say no to. And some people are, look a certain way and they're peddling one thing or they're peddling another thing or they're peddling, you know, it's just like th- those people, unfortunately, are going to get like a child early on with sugar are going to get fed something and they're going to be like, ah, all right, I like this guy. Oh, he looks cool. Oh, I think she's hot. I'm going to listen to her. I think he's hot. I'm going to listen to him. And it's like, then it's just like, they just listen to it. And they just listen, 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 instead of being like, all right, well, like, yeah, that might be right to some degree, but like, you know, he could also just, you know, have gotten, you know, it could work for him. It could not work for me. Um, and like, it's just this, it's, it's hard for the average person to sit down and say, what is real? What is fake? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? Um, and especially when people look a certain way and it's hard and you're right. And like, I definitely have to watch that video because I've heard, or the, uh, documentary, um, because, uh, I've heard a lot about it and I've seen a lot about it and I just haven't actually sat down to watch it, but it's, you know, and that's, that's how it goes. And that's how social media is going to start changing your right and changing the way that people see things, because if they don't want to see it, they're not going to see it. And like, and this is going to start turning people and, this is why I believe there's such a divide moving forward now about so many things is because, you know, people are un, un, you know, unintentionally being pushed to the extremes. Like they're unintentionally being pushed to 
be far over here or far over here or extremists on this side or extremists on that side. And they're not even, it's not even intentional. Like, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's ever been intentional. I think what's happening is, is people are just seeing, like you said, more and more and more and more information that's just validating their semi-right opinion. And it's turning it into a cold, hard fact for them. And then they're coming against somebody else who doesn't have that same opinion. And then it's just this. And you will totally see that in the documentary too, because that's exactly what they talk about. And I don't think it's like, yes, it's, you are able to kind of tailor your feed, obviously to what you want it to be like, but I don't think it's the fault of the consumer of the media or the social media, because it's the algorithms that are allowing these to slightly shift. And then you look a week later and it's a completely different feed than when you first opened your Instagram account. So I think there's, there's so much information out there that is true science information. And then people start to kind of open their minds sometimes to it. And there's a scene that you'll notice in the social dilemma. There's this in the very beginning, no, no spoilers, but in the beginning, there's this scene of this guy who works for Google and he knows something is wrong. And so he proposes this idea and everybody starts reading it. And it's this like animated scene and like everybody's starting to kind of talk and think about it. And then the, the narrator and the guy from Google was like, and then nothing happened. And what people do is they're like, the cartoons are like looking around and they're talking about it and then they stop. And then they just look back down at their phone. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, it, it worked for a little, but it actually didn't get anywhere because people just went right back to their thing. Yeah. So I think when it comes to dietitians and clients or just kind of the general population, it's like, we can, we just need to continue to try to say, Hey, these are our credentials. This is what we do. This is the science. And let's acknowledge what's on your feed. And let's also acknowledge what is truly scientific. Yeah. And I have a couple more questions because I, I, these are kind of moving in towards this direction, but um, I'll ask this one first. What are some of your favorite sources of information, like regarding nutrition and kind of like, where do you turn? Because for me, I turn to a lot of, you know, precision nutrition stuff because I like it. Um, OPEX, the other certification I have gives a lot of like very good basic information that's um, easy to give to people. Um, what, what do you look at as a dietitian or what are some things that you can suggest that what people who, who listen to this can go today and kind of look to form their own opinion or, or look to kind of enforce whatever it is that they believe now? Yeah. So I'll give you like one and a half answers. So, um, this is the half normally I'll, I, you know, we'll have people go to the governing bodies, like the USDA's website, my plate. Um, it used to be like the food pyramid. Mm -hmm. Um, if they have a specific disease state, like going to the, uh, American diabetes association or American heart association or something like that. But I say that reluctantly because there's so many politics that go on behind the scenes of what dictates those things so yes we we can trust them but I say that kind of reluctantly because there is a lot of like industry influence and stuff like that on those I'll leave that there so yes the USDA has some good resources for what they're worth they're not going to harm you I think when you look at it from like a very 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 high level um but when you zoom on in, there are some things that you're like, hmm, do we really need that much dairy in a day? Again, something that's not going to really harm you. So yeah. USDA website. But my favorite is something called the Center for Science in the Public Interest, CSPI. 
this is this is an organization that .com i think is based org. what was that dot org or dot com so it's cspi.org i think .org, okay. i'll double check um but this is an organization i think based out of dc and they are call, called like the watchdogs of the nutrition world kind of mm -hmm. and so what they do is look at all food labels and USDA articles and things like that and essentially break them down. Mm. And so, you know, you might go and buy a container of yogurt from Chobani and it says live with active cultures, good with probiotics. But then you go to CSPI and they're like, okay, probiotics are good, but these certain strains are inactive in this kind of food. And it's really like, they're really short articles, but they break it down in layman's terms that people can just like understand about all things food and nutrition. So yes, CSPI, it's actually cspinet.org and they have a magazine that's digital and physical and it's called Nutrition Action. I think it's like their health letter too. All right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, and then last couple questions. Um, how do you recommend someone just starting to kind of clean up their nutritional behaviors and just like a, um, you know, a step one in terms of like, someone's looking to answer that question today and they're like, Hey, I want to really, I just want to start to eat better in general. Um, what are kind of some of the things that you recommend early on? I think it's easy to say like eat more fruits and vegetables, yeah. but that's not what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, I would say write down your goals, write down why this is important to you, because that ultimately is going to be the cornerstone for your motivation. Is it that you don't want pain? You want to be better with athletic performance? Do you want to lose weight? And what is the motivation kind of within that? Is it that you want to have no pain so you can run around with your kids? Do you want to have better athletic performance because you want to be able to participate in a sport? That is, I think, the key because that is what's going to be that common thread throughout the entire thing. Yep. Um, and then I would recommend looking up the steps of intuitive eating, because again, if we start with your mind, it's going to be able to change a lot um, of your habits too. Is that a book? Intuitive eating. Um, no, it's, it can be a book. Like I had a textbook on it in college, but there are oh, just, so some it's, just like, it's actual steps, steps to intuitive eating. Like just like, okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. That sounds cool. Um, I, I agree with that totally. And I think like for me, um, I've solved some basic problems with myself by just like slowing down when I eat because I tend to get really fast when I eat and I don't even chew <laughs> sometimes. And like, I'll chew like three or four times and just swallow. And like, I started having like stomach problems where I was getting bloated and whatnot. And then I started looking into it more and it was just like, what, just slow down. Like, it was just like chew, like actually chew. So like I started chewing and I was like, all right, I'll try it because like my stomach hurts sometimes. And then it just went away and like the problem started to go away and I was like oh all right and like I actually thought about like maybe I should actually like sit down and like relax when I eat and not be like standing up and just going like this and then go to the next thing and like that's what often happens with people and I don't think people understand in terms of digestion how big of a deal that is because eating is one thing and then digesting is like a completely different story and like if you eat too fast if you eat too much if you eat um, you know, certain foods together, if you eat certain things at different times, like you're going to digest different amounts of it. And like, if you don't eat slow enough and you're basically putting, so basically what happens when you eat food is you put it in your mouth, 
you, you chew it, it, it starts that digestion process with saliva, it goes down your throat into your stomach, and then it turns into like this bolus, I think it's called, and then it turn and like it starts to be decompressed into um, waste, and then like it takes what it needs as it goes through the intestines. And through that process, if it's not broken down enough, the body's only going to break it down so much, and it's only going to be able to break it down so much. And then if you have pieces of food that are just not chewed and the whole point of chewing is to break it down enough so your body doesn't have that hard of a time like digesting it if you just start swallowing whole food and not chewing it you're gonna have you're gonna have some painful nights let me tell you, painful <laughs> nights well painful nights nights in your stomach and like you know you need to sit down and be more aware like mary was just saying like intuitive eating is definitely something i would 100 recommend because it's one of those things that can solve a ton of problems and a lot of people now are like this when they eat or they're looking yeah. at the TV when they eat or they're, you know, they're not actually having conversation or they're watching videos. And I, I fall victim to it as well. Like I'm here by myself. So like I'll eat and I'll watch a video or I'll eat and I'll like look at something. And like, you know, I try to as much as I can be aware of that and not do it. But like for me, just being able to understand and like, you know, the journal thing's really cool because writing down what you feel is another cool way to kind of be more uh, aware of your food. But also like for me, I read something the other day about like actually kind of like tasting your food, like tasting what it tastes like, what it feels like to chew it, kind of like what it feels like and putting your fork down each time. It's like take a bite and then put your fork down and just chew and just kind of like taste what you're tasting, feel what you're feeling. Um, and like that's hard for a lot of people because in today's day and age, it's like, what's next? What do I have to do next? It's like, all right, I'm eating, but like, what do I have to do right after this? And then like, what do I have to do right after I'm done eating and I do my next task, my next task? And, and they're just thinking so far ahead. And again, I fall victim to this. And like, for me, I've tried to take in a lot of my time and really um, dove down into enjoying the time that I do have for it and then putting more awareness into it. Um, so giving you those, or you giving those tips, um, if someone wanted to reach you specifically or ask questions or work with you in any kind of way, um, how would they do that? Yeah, I would say probably my Instagram is the easiest way to contact me at this point. My Instagram is just finding Mary Anna. And there is a contact section where you can email me. So if you click on that or just straightforward, the email is, which eventually maybe I'll change, but it's M-A-R-W-H-Y contact at gmail.com. So it spells M-A-R-Y contact at gmail.com. All right, cool. And do you have anything specifically that you do now with people or is there anything that... Um you know, you have in terms of, you know, uh, that people can reach out in terms of resources for yourself, like uh, besides Instagram, is there anything you have like article wise or, you know, um, up now? Um, like a different way of contacting me. I guess I, I wasn't sure if you had like, um, you know, I, I like, I, I've written some blogs and whatnot. I wasn't sure if you had anything like that. Um, I mean, not particularly. I've had like a couple projects for my internship that are on like a grocery store website. <laughs> okay. Um, but they're they're a little hard to find. But if anybody wants them, I can definitely like send right. them their way. Yeah, I would definitely reach out. Check out her Instagram. She's always cooking cool foods. Uh, she's always got cool stuff on there. Um, but yeah, definitely check her out. Uh, and if you guys have any specific questions on nutrition, I'd love to shoot them Mary's way. We can do this again. Maybe we can do like a Q and A or something like that. Um, I can get some more questions specifically that people are like looking to ask. Cause I think, you know, I think it's important, especially being a vegetarian and going through that process that um, the people who want to make that change are doing it correctly and they're getting everything that they need 
you know, micronutrient wise and macronutrient wise. And then also just being a little bit more aware and conscious of the decisions they're making. Because a lot of times, you know, people can become vegetarian or make that transition, but be doing it in a way that's like, you know, they're eating like different food. Like, you know, like, I don't, and I don't know your opinion on Beyond Meat, but like, you know, it's something that's like, it's good in its nature, but I don't know if it's good at its core. Like if it's really beneficial for someone to be eating something like that. And I don't, and again, I haven't looked into it enough, so I don't know per se. And I don't know if you know about it, but like talking about something like that is like, it's, it's produced in like somewhere else and it's made to look like me and it's made to taste like me and feel like me and like represent me. And it's like, like how close do you get without like, you know, pushing something like that and being like, all right, like, yeah, you should do that. Or like, now nah, there's really a better option. You know what I mean? And like, right. you know, that's stuff that, you know, I'm sure she can answer for you. And uh, if you want to answer that quick, you can, but um, you know, uh, like I said, I really think you guys should check her out, ask her questions. Uh, she's got Q and A's running all the time on her Instagram. Um, you can always ask her questions there. She'll answer it for you. Um, any closing remarks? Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, we'll do it again. We'll definitely do it again. I'm always, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, after I made this move, it was uh, a bit crazy trying to get people on, but I'm starting to get back into the swing of it and have people on again. So we'll definitely do this again. Like I said, next time I'll, I'll plan something. And if you want to plan something too, um, maybe we can do a little bit more of like a Q and A and just have like stuff that we actually are like specifically answering for people. Uh, and we can kind of go from there, but I definitely appreciate you coming on. This was fun. And uh, we will do it again soon. Again, questions, reach out to me or at Finding Mary Anna or the email button on her Instagram. You can sit there and uh, hit that and you can send her an email there. Um, but I will talk to you guys soon. Check this out, let you know when it's going up. But we got uh, a couple other things coming up with Killian Hamilton. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please do. And then um, the fight cast, as always, with me and Jake, go over all the fights coming, over this, coming up this weekend. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.